Before we get into the show, a quick reminder to check out and subscribe to the Beer Edge podcast with Andy Crouch. Each week, he's doing deep dives into breweries, talking with journalists covering the beer space, and unpacking a lot of what makes the beer industry so interesting. Find the Beer Edge podcast wherever you download shows. Welcome to Drink Beer, Think Beer, the podcast that gets to the bottom of every pint. I'm John Hall. And let's talk about craft malting this week. My guest is Caleb Mishaki, and he's the owner, maltster, and farmer of Sugar Creek Malt Company in Indiana. From corn to heirloom grains and the struggle of the modern American small farmer, we're going to get into it all. But first, an invitation to check out BeerEdge.com for articles to sign up for the newsletter and for our merch page that has the very best in Defend Pilsner and Camp Raukbeer drink, wear, and wearables. And if you want to help keep us on the air, you can reach out to Liz Milby. She's at liz at beeredge.com to learn about advertising. And speaking of that, this episode is brought to you by Brees, the leading supplier of specialty malt to craft brewers. They offer the broadest product line in the industry, including a wide range of roasted malts that add flavor, color, and character to beer. Their experienced operators handcraft every batch of roasted malt to ensure the product you get is consistent. Check out brewingwithbreece.com for beer recipes using roasted malt. And by Dragon's Milk White from New Holland Brewing Company. It reimagines what a stout can be. Your vessel will be filled with the color of gold, and yet there's more to this white stout than meets the eye. Aged in bourbon barrels, Dragon's Milk White is smooth and velvety, abounding with notes of coffee, chocolate, and vanilla to present classic stout flavors in a delicious new way. All in a sessionable 6% ABV package. Find Dragon's Milk White near you at dragonsmilk.com. And finally, you can rub and sniff New Zealand hops like Nectaron, Rewaka, Nelson Savin, and Matuika this week at the Craft Brewers Conference in Denver. The North American team for New Zealand Hops LLC will host CBC participants at its booth, Brew Expo America, number 1743. And there, you'll be able to smell fragrant hops and oils, learn from the best in the business as they host live brewmaster Q&As, a book signing, musical happy hours, and giveaways. Learn more at facebook.com slash New Zealand Hops. Corn gets beat up in beer circles. And that's thanks to years of it being maligned by craft brewers who saw it as an adjunct ingredient that didn't bring a lot to the conversation or thinking that it messed with purity. But corn is dynamic. It's flavorful, impactful in a beer recipe, and it should be celebrated. And that's why in Indiana, a state known for corn production, there are rows and rows of corn being grown annually by Caleb Mishaki. He's the owner, maltster, and farmer of Sugar Creek Malt Company. The farm comes up in my conversations quite a bit these days because small breweries are into what Caleb is doing. And after you listen to this, you're going to hear why. And yes, Rank Beer fans, we're going to be talking about smoked beer. But there's more to it than just that. It's historical and forward thinking. It's the worry of a farmer and that undefinable urge to push forward anyway. From talking about malt that hasn't been grown since World War II and is now destined for lagers, to his own brewery and how malt is okay being the bass player in the beer band, never actually getting the spotlight in beer, 
Caleb is drawing the cartography of the roadmap of his business as he drives it. Here's our conversation. What is it like being a small farmer in America these days? It's not easy. <laughs> um, not easy at all. Um, so my dad, I actually had no, um, no desire to come back to the farm really in high school and even mainly through college. Um, my dad raised hogs and corn and corns and soybeans, just, you know, just, just regular conventional farming basically in Indiana. And I'd had no real draw to come back to that family farm um, through college. Was, was that by his encouragement? Yes. Yeah. They never really pushed me to really come back at all. Um, it wasn't something they wanted me to a lifestyle. They wanted me to get into. Um, I think, you know, on the front, you know, now whether they wanted to, wanted me to deep down, but they just didn't want to push me into it, you know, that, that could have been, but on the front, it was never a, a push. Um, so yeah, they raised corn and soybeans and hogs and I, I never really wanted to spend my life in hog barns. And so I went to college to actually become, um, work in developmental agriculture. So going to third world countries and starting up, you know, breeding programs in Peru and, you know, whatever it is. Um, that's what I wanted to do. I tried to do that for a few months out of college and realized I would have had to um, uh, basically volunteer, like join the Peace Corps for a few years. And um, I was dating my my then current, my now current wife and realized that um, if I did that, I, we probably wouldn't have made it through that. So I made a decision to not, to kind of stop chasing that dream and do something different. Um, ended up teaching agriculture at a high school for two years and got really into home brewing and uh, in the brewing industry during those two years um, and started researching, you know, what went into beer and, you know, where it came from. Um, and um, that kind of led me to hops and malt. And I looked into hops and really didn't think it didn't have the draw for me. Um, malt, you know, we were already grain farming. We had a combine, we had grain bins uh, and malt was more than just farming. It was, taking that, it was farming and take, then taking that grain and making from one single kernel, you know, thousands and thousands of different flavor combinations. Um, and so the art and the science and in the experimentation that goes into malting really kind of drew me in. Um, it has kept for the last six years now, has kept my brain very interested every single day. Um, we're always doing something new. And I didn't really think that I could do that as much with hops. Um, so I, yeah, I came back to the farm and said, Hey dad, um, I, I, I know I've never really wanted to come back to the farm, but I do miss that lifestyle. And if I ever want to start a family, I want my kids to be, um, to know, know the lifestyle of farming and know the hard work that you, that, that goes into it and, um, and be able to, even if I'm working, you know, day in, day out, still be able to have my kids around and things like that. Um, so in 2000, 14 um we traveled around the country and went to a few different craft malt houses really there weren't that many around at that point riverbend and valley malt were really the two ones that, the two main ones that we went to yeah um and i went to north dakota to try to learn how to grow barley because nobody in indiana was growing barley at that point and still nobody is unless they're growing it for us um and so I went, you know, I could go to Purdue, which is our local ag school. They couldn't tell me a single thing about barley at all and what varieties to grow or anything like that. So, <laughs> um, and then went up to Canada and took a two week long course on malting. 
which of course I learned everything I needed to know in those two weeks. And then, uh, my, my wife and I, and my parents, um, we started a malt house in spring of 2015. Um, so it's really been a a good way for me to come back to the farm and do some, you know, even though it's not really technically farming what I'm doing, but I have, my dad now grows barley and wheat and rye. And then these heirloom corns that we're doing, you know, regular corn, um, that we just regular yellow duck corn that we sell to distillers, um, uh, and then, and then we also have started um, a seed company that he's doing now. He's actually was able to get out of hogs in the last two years um, completely because he's, you know, okay. getting up in age, and he's really just been doing the grain side for, you know, um, for himself and for the malt house. So it's been a good, a good way to diversify the farm um, because really there just wasn't enough. We weren't going to be making enough money for me to come back to the farm the way it was. I had to bring something new to the farm. Um, and so that was the malt house. <clears throat> that was a very long answer for your no. uh, for your question, but sorry. So no, but I want to I want to bring it back to that original question because you said it's not easy, and you know th- I I think that there's this I don't know maybe it's me being on the coast and you know it's this idea of you know American grit and American perseverance of you know farms being critically important and they and and they are. Um, but it is also it, it it you you know you said it's not easy and and when I do talk to farmers, um, which again is not all that much, but it's enough. You know the same refrain is you know th- this is harder than it's ever been. You know it's harder to make money. It's harder to keep things going. There's a thousand things to be worried about um, today, and then a thousand different things to be worried about tomorrow. Um, I mean, from 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 your perspective now, for six years in um, with the Malt House has it gotten any easier has it gotten harder is it for farming yeah yeah Yeah. no it's definitely i mean i've in the last six years i i can think of off the top of my head um just in my you know little county that i'm in um four five different family farms that have gotten out of farming in the last um since i started the malt house um that have been generational farmers that they just weren't you, you know, either making enough money or the, or the next generation never really came back, um, to the farm, which would have been, you know, me, um, but I did end up coming back to the farm. So it's, no, it's, it's not easy. And, and, you know, the re and the reason that my dad got out of the, out of the hogs is the last few years, he's basically just been breaking even he's been working, working day in, day out and basically just to break even. Um, and that's yeah. a lot of the times what farming is. If you break even, that's great. <laughs> you know, you have to be really either you have to be really, really large um, and have thousands and thousands of acres, which, you know, which is what's happening now with all the smaller family farms kind of going out. There's a few family farms in our county that have been buying up the, the other and they're still family farms. So they're not, you know, they're not big corporations or anything like that. They're still family farms. But um, but it is kind of getting down to a smaller amount of, of families that are that are in the county farming. So either you do that, either you get a lot of acreage um, or you get other businesses going on. There's um, I, I don't know any farmers around here that don't have a, another side business going on. Just not and they're not just farming. So the one one down the road for me has a, a butcher in, in town. Okay. Um, another one has a, uh, a they actually got completely out of row crop farming. They started years ago doing a Christmas tree farm and Airbnbs and pumpkin patch and so now they're more agritourism. Um, they totally got out of farming. Um, they're agritourism now. Uh, my cousin, who um, used to raise ca- uh, f- uh, cattle and a lot of row crops, they still do row crops, but they've got 
a couple other side businesses like you know, like metal siding. They sell metal siding and things like that. So no, it's not it's it's not as simple, you know, picturesque that you think of. Go out and feed the one or two cows that you got and 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 go yeah. back in. And that's not how it is. It's 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 a like you said, perseverance and, and grit and and determination to keep um, to keep that lifestyle and keep that for your family. Um, it's it, I, I've always I always hear the um, the phrase farmers um, live poor and die rich. Um, you know we have so many assets tied up in, in acreage and, and equipment and things like that that we're always paying on those throughout our entire life. And then you know by the end of the time by the time we actually get all that paid off, then it's time to pass it on to the next generation. So. Can you talk about though the importance of small family farms? Because so much of and let's take beer out of the equation for a second. But like, you know, people don't buy you know bespoke cars, you know, or computers, or a lot of the other things that we have in our daily lives. There's you know four or five major companies, and and certainly when it comes to you know food production now, uh, there's a lot of consolidation you know, that that's out there, um, you know, and, and that that hurts me because, you know, living in New Jersey, where we actually still do have farms uh, and we used to have a much more robust farming tradition, both, you know, dairy farms and 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 and, and crops, um, you know, the loss of that, even in the last 40 years has been felt. Um, but from your perspective, what happens when small farms decide to close like what does that mean societally what does that mean you know for us who aren't in it day to day what does that mean as like consumers so to be devil's advocate on this because i taught right. agriculture in high school and i grew okay. up in a in a commercial farm um you know i grew up in yeah it was a small it was a it was a family farm but you know we raised we raised hogs in, indoors and things like that I'm, you know, what I do, I, I feel like is this, is this niche thing. Um, and I, and, you know, I love organic products and things like that, but, um, I do think we need both. Um, you know, I went to graduated college wanting to do, to do, um, development, developmental agriculture and going into third world countries and things. Yeah. Um, and I think that the very highly, um, um, automated and very low cost, um, foods are necessary, um, for, uh, for certain, you know, areas and for certain, um, families with their, with different income levels. You mm -hmm. know, I think, I don't think we can always have, you know, these high end, uh, produce and things like that, that, that are, you know, organic or heirloom and things yeah. like that. I think, no, I, I mean, think, I, 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 think, I balk at spending 10 bucks on a, you know, tomato that was sung to every night or whatever. You're like, yeah, right. Right. I mean, I would love, I love to buy that, but that can't, that we can't, <laughs> we can't sustain our, you know, we can't sustain our, 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 uh, our, our world doing that. So I think that it yeah. is, you know, I think that we, and, and I, and, you know, it's, it's the same thing in the brewing industry. I think we need both. I think we need craft beer and I think we need macro beer. I think they both serve their purposes. And I think the same thing with farming. Um, you know, I think that there, there always needs to be a very, um, low, uh, low cost, um, way to feed people. Um, but I also think that once we get into that point, then we'd start losing the, the diversity in different um grains and in different livestock different breeds of livestock that you know might, might not grow as quickly and might not produce as much meat um same thing with different grains if we're only looking for the cheapest and, and most effective way to feed people 
then we're losing flavor and we're losing diversity. Um, and so I think, you know, I think this movement that, that, that the whole country really and the whole world is in and, and going back and doing craft things and doing small agriculture um, is great. And I think it should happen. Um, but I think it, it's, it needs to be balanced out. I think our, our whole, our whole production, food production needs to be balanced out in general. Where do consumers start to get involved in that conversation? I think by how, how, how can they? I mean, I think by their, do- by their dollar. You know, everybody likes to talk that they support local and 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 say you know and and and, and talk about it a lot. But you know, when we're going to the grocery store, how often are we actually buying stuff that is locally grown? Um, you know, I I I am bad at that myself. You know, I I. We live in a very rural area, and there really aren't that many um, opportunities to buy things. We have Kroger and Walmart in town, and that's really about it. So, um, you know, we go and, and buy most. We don't have like a really great farmers market set up, you know, every day and things like that. So, you know, I'm 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 just as much to blame as everybody else. But I think, you know, I think in general we've got to start putting our our money where our mouth is and start and start buying those products. You talked about flavor diversity before. Um... And being where you are in Indiana, I mean, it's not, it's, it's closer to Michigan than it is uh, the South side of the state. And Michigan has sort of emerged as a hot producing state in the last couple of years. I know um, Bell's tried with malt for a while, and I think they sold that farm a couple of years ago. Um, and you had even mentioned thinking about hops early on. Um, but when it comes to, to flavor and diversity, was there something that drew you to malt over hops oh yeah 100 percent. yeah um like i said hops is just farming i feel like you go out and you you harvest the hop and that's the flavor that you have harvested is what you get um with malting i can take you know one harvest and literally make it into thousands of different flavors um you know and so that 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 ability to experiment and to and to play and to push the limits of what we think of, of, of malt being um, really is what drew me in. I mean, that's, that's the only way I've been able to keep my brain happy, you know, and keep, keep me emotionally and, 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 and physically happy um, the last six years. is just by always trying to think of what's new and what's, and what's, um, and what we can push um, and what we can, and what we can um, come up with. Um, so, you know, we started out with base malts in 2015, um, just to really try to figure out how to malt. Cause you know, I had two, I had two weeks practice in a, in a classroom. That was it. So more, um, more than enough. Yeah. Yeah. More than enough. Right. Um, it wasn't like, you know, right. it, Se- it, it, senioritis it, kicked in on day seven. And so exactly. like really the last three days were a coast. Yeah, exactly. Um, yeah. And, and it was, and it's, it was a lot like brewing was in the eighties, you know, early eighties and early nineties in, in that we had to build all of our own equipment. You know, we couldn't go out and buy malting machines. Those didn't exist back then. Um, and they still, I mean, they exist, but they still aren't, um, very economical. Most new malt houses are still building their own malting machines. Um, so yeah, it was a lot of just trying to figure things out those first couple of years. And, and the same thing with the, with the agriculture, we didn't know what varieties to even grow here we started growing north american varieties in indiana that were bred for originally for you know canada and montana and they just didn't grow here at all i mean they just didn't yeah. produce very good malt or barley that would that then wouldn't produce very good malt um so we ended up um 
finding or some companies came over from Europe and brought some European varieties over. And that just drastically changed um, the malt quality that we were able to produce. Um, so that was huge, um, number one. Um, so that helped, you know, the getting German variety, German winter varieties that we could grow here um, just drastically improved um, what we could do. Um, and then, yeah, and then, we, and then once we kind of figured out the base malts, I really wanted to keep pushing the limits. So we built a cold smoker that we now produce um, the most amount of cold of smoked. We have the largest list of cold smoked malts you could ever you could ever want. Um, so I've got. <laughs> 40 or 50 different woods, herbs, um, spices, um, barrels, uh, all, all kinds of things you can smoke with. And then you choose what wood you want or herb you want. And then you choose what malt you want smoked that. And you're doing this, into. you're doing this to order to, to, to order. Correct. Yep. That's so, so if you want, fun. yeah, if you want a persimmon wood smoked rye malt, we can do that. You know, if you want a, lavender smoked pilsner malt we can do that you know whatever it is we'll, yeah. we'll cold we'll cold smoke that so we started that in 2016 so a year after we started malting um then 2018 came along and we we hand built our our um our roaster that we um put in a trailer that we can actually take the festivals and roast on site so we've done that quite a few times we'll take we'll take a take the roaster to a beer fest or to you know some event yeah. and roast on site and then leave it there at the brewery and then they can make a malt uh, beer with it. Like it's our little, our little jab at the hop industry doing a 24 hour, uh, 24 hour <laughs> malted grain. So, um, so, yeah, so, it, so, so it's a, it's a fresh, fresh Ralk is, is really what, exactly. what, what it is that you're saying. Yeah. 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 So wet yeah, so wet Ralk doesn't, doesn't actually kind of work, but fresh Ralk uh, I think yeah. actually kind of works. Yeah. 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 So that was the smoker. So in that we do, I'm sorry. That was the roaster. I, yeah. I said smoker. That was the roaster. So we do all kinds of crystal malts in that chocolate malts. We've done in that caramel corn, um, chocolate rice, um, you know, all kinds of weird things out of there. Um, so we started that. In does it, does it show in the final beer though? Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. I've, I've had a, I had some people make a, uh, we did a chocolate corn and caramel corn, cream ale with um cloud water up in michigan i think that's the okay. name cloud water yeah um and that 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 uh that cream ale turned out awesome it was this dark dark corn cream ale it was pretty neat um yeah but yeah they come through um in certain ways and i've and we, we've malted uh, carolina gold rice here before um, and i've had quite a few pilsers or lagers made with that that, that is just just so light and refreshing um our caramel rye I, I will say is is the best. Oh, wait, is it Storm Cloud Brewing? Storm Cloud, yes. I'm sorry. Okay. Cloud Water, yeah, Storm yeah Cloud, 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 Cloud Water's in the UK. That just sort of yep. threw me for a second. Yeah. Yep. I'm sorry, Storm Cloud, thank you. Okay. Um Yeah, we do a crystal rye that is the best crystal malt on the market, hands down. Like it is so good. I just sit there and eat it. It just melts in your mouth. Um, um yeah, and things like that. So we started that. <clears throat> then I got bored again. <laughs> so in twenty, how do you get bored with Ralk beer? Well, well, we were doing that, but that's what that, it was just cold smoked Ralk beer, and yeah. uh, and it, it wasn't really doing it in the traditional way, and so I wanted to do it in the traditional way. So in okay. two thousand nineteen, we built the Suinhus. Um, I went over to Norway and um, yeah, and um, and and visited um, 
a few different uh, places there that were that have been doing it, you know, for generations and generations. And we and we uh, were able to actually produce a couple batches there while we were there with them. Um, and then we came back and built our own Norwegian smokehouse. Um, and so we've been doing that for three, two seasons now. Um, and in the winters, we do this tr traditional smoke malts. And in the summers, we actually make wind malt um, and just dry it out in the sun and the wind. Um, so yeah, I've, I've, I, once I get kind of one thing pretty nailed down, then I, I get bored and want to do something different. So we keep, keep pushing the limits on what we're doing. Is, is, is there a new frontier on smoke beers, uh, and smoke malt that you're sort of itching to tap into if you're doing cold smoke and now traditional Scandinavian, is there a, the traditional Scandinavian is, I don't know if you've had any of the beers made with that style of malt or not, but it is intense. Um, it's, it's, it's. It's too much for some people. Um, it's a very, very smoky in your face smoke mall. Um, so it's, it's definitely not for everybody. Um, but I just, I really wanted to, um, produce something that his, was historically accurate, whether it's, you know, perceived well in the market as of right now or not. But I do, as we were talking before this, I do think that smoke beer is coming back into somewhat of a style, you know, oh, yeah. or somewhat of a fashion. You know, I think people are starting to enjoy those, those flavors a little more. So, you know, as, as people start getting into that more and, and, and becoming more accustomed to that, that smoke, um, you know, we'll see um, how the, the, how that develops into even a more uh, smokier beer, like the Norwegian beers that, that, that I've had and that we make <clears throat> they're, they're, they're smoky. I mean, I I, jo I joke about the this week in Rauk beer page, um, just because it is it's so delightful to see how many people are into uh, smoke beers. It's almost a thousand that are in this uh, uh, Facebook group at this point, and it's growing every day, which is which is a lot of fun. Um, but <laughs> you're making this, and you're trying to put it out to to you know people who want to buy it, and then make a product with it. Um, do you still get resistance? from brewers or are the people who are seeking out the smoke malt that you're making, uh, are they just seeking you out because they know it's good and they already have an idea in mind? Um, resistance as in, what do you mean by that? I guess. I, I don't know. Are, are there people who are like, Hey, it's nice that you have that on your catalog, but I'm never going to buy that. Oh yeah. hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, who are so these many, people I mean, that I should be writing angry letters to? <laughs> I mean, I mean, so many people like my smoke, the, the sign house malts, the soy house, the, the smoke malts that are coming out of there are really getting, being shipped all over the country because not every brewery is going to make, uh, you know, a smoke beer. You know, we live in, yeah. I live, I re live in Indiana and, you know, I, I realize that, um, you know, some of the beer here is, is or a lot of the beer here is not, you know, on the, not pushing the limits as far as, as, as the, the styles go and stuff. And so, yeah, I, it just gets shipped. You know, I've shipped it all over the country, the, the, those smoke malts. Um, but yeah, no, there's definitely like people will, well, yeah, they'll say, oh yeah, this is really cool that you're doing that. But exactly. Like, you know, I'm not, we're not, we maybe we'll be not going to buy that. Yeah. Yeah. Maybe we'll do a beer with it every once in a while, but that's, that's about it. So yeah, no, it's definitely, um, it's definitely a very unique uh, malt and we produce very unique malts. I mean, even like, so we, yeah. last year we started doing, um, bourbon barrel aged chocolate malt, which is a very expensive malt because we have to buy bourbon barrel, bourbon barrels and actually age the chocolate malt in it. Um, but it does. Produce so wait, so wait what, what, walk me through that process. Is this, so you're getting bourbon barrels and then we're you're getting taking, freshly dumped. Yeah. 
Yeah, we're getting freshly dumped bourbon barrels from the distillers that we work with, from actually from West Fork Whiskey based out of Indianapolis. Sure. Um, <clears throat> we are then um, putting some of our base malt in there to absorb that whiskey, then roast it, and then put it back into this to the barrel and let it sit for a couple months and let it just nice and pick up all those oaky vanilla um, are you, flavor. Are you rotating the barrels? How, how does that, it's not just sitting in there. Yeah, we will roll them. Yeah, every couple of days we roll them just to kind of rotate and the grain around. Um, but yeah, that, that initial absorption, you know, we get the grain kind of wet with the whiskey almost because there's still some whiskey in there. That yeah. helps. And then, and then we roast it and then put it back in there. And then it really sucks up all the rest of the aromas out of the barrel. And um, it doesn't spoil not, over time? Well, no, because we get most of the moisture out of it from that first original soaking. Um, huh. So it's pretty dry once we put it back in. Um, and then and we put it in the grain kind of a little warm to put it back in a little warm. You need to put it right out of the roaster really to get it to really um, pick up the rest of the, because when it comes out of the roaster, the grain is only like 2% more, at least you know, the most like 2% moisture. So it really kind of uh, uh, balances out. And now if, if we would leave it in there for more than you know a few months, then it would start getting, getting slack and get a little, getting a little stale. But um, yeah. yeah, we leave it in there for about a month or month or two and then pull it out. And it's just this beautiful, it's not like an, it's not like a bourbon barrel aged beer. So it's not like, which I enjoy because I really don't like bourbon barrel aged beers very much. Cause I yeah. want to drink bourbon. I'm going to drink bourbon. Um, but it, it, it adds, um, a nice vanilla, uh, oakiness to the, uh, to the, to the beer that is, um, very lightly perceived. And, and honestly, if you're not looking for it, you wouldn't even notice it, but it's just this really nice balance or nice addition to the beer. Um, but again, so that's another weird malt that not, you know, people are like, Oh, cool. You're doing that, but we're not ever going to buy that, but that's really cool that you're doing that. So, um, you know, so that's, you know, we make a lot of base malts and that's really what we sell the most of, but, um, but I really always like to have, um, uh, some, you know, options for people that are willing to step out of their comfort zone and, and try some really unique things. I'm going to have more with Caleb in a moment, but first, thanks to the companies that help keep the mics hot on this show. Pairing rich notes of chocolate and coffee from roasted malts with deep tones of vanilla and oak from its time in bourbon barrels, each bottle of Dragon's Milk is a delicious adventure waiting to be opened. Find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. New Zealand Hops LLC will host Brew Expo America attendees at its booth, number 1743 this week in Denver. Visit and smell fragrant hops and oils, attend Brewmaster Q&As, a book signing, musical happy hours, and more. Learn more at facebook.com slash New Zealand Hops. And Brees is proud to control their malt starting in the field until it arrives at your brewery. They have long-term relationships with several hundred growers in the Bighorn Basin of Wyoming and Montana, where warm days, cool nights, and floodwater irrigation yield some of the highest quality barley in the U.S. And now, back to Caleb Mashaki of Sugar Creek Malt. One way that brewers, I think, are stepping out of comfort zones, or at least beer societal norms is I'm seeing a lot more corn show up in beers. Uh, and that's what actually prompted this conversation. Uh, you and I are Facebook friends, uh, although we've never met in person as we established uh, before we started recording. Uh, but I've admired your work from afar and you've been posting for the last couple of weeks, um, these really beautiful uh 
corn porn shots of uh, <laughs> varieties that you're that that you're growing. Um, I don't know if that's the appropriate uh, term I, to I, use, but I like it. I'm going to start using that. <laughs> Good. You can you can send the royalty checks my way uh, to right. Randy Crouch. Yeah. That's fine. Um, <laughs> it's my new LLC is corn corn. <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah, all the pretty corns, as as you've been saying, uh, which is a, a much more PC and gentler way of saying it. Yeah. But it got me thinking when I saw these pictures of for a long time in American brewing, especially given the rise of craft beer corn and rice but corn was maligned and it was um you know we're only going to use the purest ingredients and if the big guys are using adjuncts like corn and rice well they can go to hell and things like that and this was a line that was bought by a lot of consumers in the craft space for a very long time and i think a lot of brewers for a very long time and there were people who pushed back on this i mean notably um, you know, years ago, the um, uh, who's it? Jace Marty from Shells uh, wrote a pretty impassioned letter to the BA, being like, "We're about as authentic as it gets, and we're an old American family-owned brewery, and yeah, we use corn, yeah, we use rice in our beers, and there's nothing wrong with that." And then Chris Loring at Notch was making a beer, I think, called the Mule for a while, which was an American corn lager. Um, you know, so so there's been these these pushbacks of the general narrative. Um, but corn is still used for whiskey. <clears throat> this is my long wind-up pitch to how is it selling corn to brewers these days? Is it still an uphill battle, or are people? Well, let's smarter? let's go let's go back to my entire business to begin with. Malt okay. in general, malt in general. Um, you know, I feel like got the back burner for a long time. Sure. Well, um, it still does. Yeah, it does. Yeah. And that's, you know, that was one of the things that I, and, and the things that I've strived over the last six years of the business that I have is to make, make malt cool, you know, make, make people really want to try different malts. Um, and, and, you know, and, and we've got a new lager variety coming out here this, this fall. And, you know, this the exact same thing when we talk about corn and we talk about lagers, you know, 10 years ago that was like oh lager is terrible you know we can't we're, we're not making loggers that's that's what the macro guys do yeah. um so my entire business has always been um trying to bring back um trying to not bring back but shine light on some of these products that in, in beer that don't get the attention that they should um and that's kind of always been my push and you know that's you know I, we started smoking malts in 2016 and and you know and and smoke malts are starting to smoke beers are starting to become popular and um you know we started we started malting corn back in uh, i think the first malted corn that we did was back in 2017 we did a malted corn for three floyds and they did a a a corn ipa that was the first beer that ever used corn um at that from our from our malted corn i mean uh, that was the first first beer that we ever sold malted corn for was that uh, corn lord is that what they did? Uh, yep. Yeah. Corn. Okay. Yeah. Corn Lord. Yeah. I think that was what it was called. Yeah. It was something like that. Wasn't it Corn Lord? Yeah. I think it was. I think it was something like that. Yeah. Stop. I'm teasing. That's just. No, that's I think awful. it actually was. It was like. Oh, was it really? I, I was just trying to make a Dark no, it Lord wasn't joke. Corn Lord. It was. Um, gosh. It was something like that, though. It was. It was very. It was a playoff of one of their other beers. It wasn't Corn Lord. It was. Um, 
Alpha Colonel? Al- Alpha Corn or something. I don't remember what, what the name okay. of it was. Yeah, it was something like that. Oh, I was just uh, trying to tease them. I, I try to do my research as deep as I can and before I do these shows, but like I was just trying to make a joke off of that when I had Yeah, no, no but you're you're actually pretty accurate. So yeah, it was something like that. Um, I'm not original. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, um, yeah, and so I had a little extra from that. They I, I custom malted that for them. Um, and it was actually a collaboration between the whole Northwest Indiana Brewers group. Um, and they did, a, they did that beer. Uh, and then I had a little extra from that uh, contract malt that I did for them and sold it to a few other brewers. And, it, and the beer that they made with it, they just loved. And, and I was like, well, maybe we should start doing this a little more. So, um, so we started doing like one or two batches every year for the last few years. And really uh, the last two or three years, it's really taken off. So I've got people putting it malted corn and um, lagers. I've got them putting it in cream ales. I've got them putting it in saisons. I just had a hazy IPA that was that was made with Oaxacan green corn um, this week. Um, I have a brewer that does every year a hundred percent malted corn grisette um, that he that he sours with lactobacillus that he swabs off of the corn itself. Um, it's really taken off and and, and become its own kind of unique thing that has really produced some beautiful beers. Um, and so we originally started out with just, just yellow corn and that's what we malted the first time. And, yeah, that is okay. Yeah. And go, we did that ahead. for yeah. the first two years. And, um, and, and, and then I uh, actually learned of, um, there's another guy I'm doing some really cool stuff with corn. Um, it's called dancing star farms out in Pennsylvania. Um, okay. I bought some bloody butcher from him, um, three years ago, three or four years ago and did a batch of that and just fell in love with the corn at that point. Um, and so we started doing some research into some different varieties that we could grow here. And we did bloody butcher last year was, so last, last fall was our first harvest of, of, of an heirloom variety corn, which was our bloody butcher. And it went great. Um, we, we got a good yield off of it. It, 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 it didn't fall down in the field, which is what we were most worried about getting lodged, lodged in the field. Um, and so we decided to do more this year. Um, this year we've got Bloody Butcher Oaxacan Green, which is a, a very old Mexican uh, green corn. And then we also have um, uh, Bo- uh, Boone County White, which is a white corn that was actually bred in the 1870s, just about 10 miles down the road from us. Um, that was actually a very popular corn in the like 1880s, 1890s. And then, um, and then yeah, and then it kind of fell, fell off at that point. All right, so, so, the- so so here's what I need here here's what I need uh, because I don't know enough about corn um, to have like a super deep intelligent conversation with you which I really want to right now because I'm fascinated by this so I'm going to ask you to put on your professor hat again because so white corn yellow corn um, you know, we put in hot water for a few minutes or, you know, we're putting on the grill or we're doing whatever this type of year and it's delicious. And I think most everybody knows what that tastes like. Um, you just named three different corns. Um, and so I'm, I'm curious when you were milling yellow corn early on, what are like one or two predominant flavors that would show up in the beer <clears throat> off of that yellow corn? That's, so, that's the first part of this question. Yeah, yeah. So like the yellow and the white corn that we've malted in the past, I would say are the cleanest, most corny flavored corn. Um, 
So it definitely has that corn, you know, just kind of like sweet corn flavor. But also since it's malted and toasted in the kiln, it's got this almost like corn puff, like cereal kind of flavor to it. Also, it's got this like kind of toasted corn flavor um, mixed in with like malted barley flavor. Um, okay. So it's got it's it's a really it's it's a it's honestly a great malt that I, you know, used to be malted. Um, corn used to be malted quite a bit back in yeah. back, back before the 1900s. Um uh, and it, and, I, and yeah, the extract's a little bit lower, but, um, but it makes just this, just gorgeous flavor in different beers. Um, so yeah, that was the, that was the, the yellow and the green, or I'm sorry, the yellow and the white, um, the bloody butcher, I would say is a little bit more. Okay, good. So you anticipated my question. Cause I wanted, to, I yes. wanted to sort of start to talk about the flavors and bloody yeah. butcher. I've had beers made with this before. Evan Watson of plan B farm brewery. <laughs> Uh, uh, for those who have been listening to the podcast for a very long time now, um, Evan Watson has a song about Bloody Butcher that he likes yes. to sing. Um, yeah, it's a great song. <laughs> is it? No, it is. Uh, well, it's, no, no, I no. mean, it's not going to win the Grammy, but it's, no, you no. know, it, it can win something. Um, but, all right. So Bloody Butcher, though. Yeah. So I, I get more of like a, a, a berry berry fruit um to like it and then like a more of a spicy character um it's like fruity spicy kind of character in the bloody butcher um that's what i get from the bloody butcher what what um, is this what is a style of beer that you think bloody butcher plays best I, in i like it best in sours okay i've i've had i've had it in lagers and i've had it in sours and personally i like it best in the in the um just a slightly tart like farmhouse ale or, um, you know, or yeah, it's just, just a nice little tart, easy drinking beer. I've had a few of those with the, with the bloody butcher and it turns out great. Okay. Uh, the loggers are also great. Don't get me wrong on that. I love the loggers made of it too, but I just, I think, I don't know. I just, and, and I think that little bit of tartness, the acidity, so acidity kind of brings out the color in some of these, in some of these beers too, and some of these corns. So uh, a slightly acidic beer will, allow that color to kind of hang on a little bit too, um, a little bit better than, than, a, than, a, than a non-acidic beer. Um, so yeah, it's not, it's, it's, it's fun to see a, a, a beer that has like a pink little hue to it. Um, yeah. and it, it comes across nicely. So, um, so yeah, I mean, it, it's not a huge, I don't, as far as flavor goes in the beers, I mean, it's not a, a, a huge difference. I don't think you're going to, you know, be able to really tell, if you don't aren't, aren't doing like a side-by-side tasting, like a huge difference in, in the different varieties. Um, but there, there are definitely subtle differences in them. Um, well, Wahak and green, I see more yeah. of like, yeah, I, I would, I've, I've only had a couple, a few beer, couple beers with Wahak and green. Most of that has gone to whiskey so far. Um, but the beers that I have had, I would say it's more closely related to the, to the, um, to the white and yellow and yellow corn. It's, it's more of a really <clears throat> earthy, corny, um, flavor to that one. It's not as bright as like bloody butcher and, and spicy as bloody butcher is, but it and also then, produces like this cool kind of green color. Um, I, I have a hazy IPA right now that, um, he, it, he had, he la- he had it pretty cloudy. Um, and he said it had this like kind of weird kind of grayish color to it, but so he, he, uh, he, uh, put some biofine in it and cleared it up and okay. it has this really nice, like dark golden, almost with a touch of green to it. Um, it's really a cool, and it's a great little hazy beer, hazy IPA. So, and then the last one that you mentioned uh, was this um, uh, Boone County White Corn. 
Yeah. So that's, we've, this is brand new for us. We don't know. Um, it's, um, this is the first year we've grown it. I found some seed for it. I've, I've heard people talk about Boone County white for years and I never realized that it was actually from my Boone County that I live in, uh, hmm. until last year. And I started doing some research into different corns and, and, uh, realized it was actually bred in the town that I grew up in basically, um, in the late 1800s. Um, and won the Chicago World Fair and all that kind of stuff, and was very popular corn for for a couple generations. Um, so we found some seed for that and and grew that this year, and it is a very cool looking corn. It's like fifteen foot stalks. I mean, just huge, tall stalks. It looks like a bamboo forest almost when you're walking through huh. it, and the, the you can almost not even reach the ears of the uh, on the corn stalk because they're so tall. Like I have to almost get on my tippy toes to get to pull the ears off. Um, it's just crazy how tall it is. And the ears are just giant, these huge, giant white, white corn ears. Um, so yeah, it'll be fun to see what that one does malting. Um, we're also this winter installing a, uh, a stone mill. So we're going to start doing stone ground flowers, corn flowers, corn grits. And so it'll be, it'll be fun to see the different flavors that come in baking these different corns too. That's awesome. I love corn grits. Yeah. yeah. I'll have to, I'll have to talk with you about, uh, yeah. um, how to best order that, but you, you brought up something that, that was sort of interesting of there hasn't been enough trials or if somebody's just tasting it right off the bat, they're not necessarily going to, um, you know, pick up on it. Um, maybe aside from color in the hops world, I think there's so much citra. There's so much mosaic out on the market just to use two of the, the more popular hops at the moment. Um, that, even casual craft beer drinkers, you know, people who you know aren't into it or listening to this podcast, uh, can identify or pick up or at least like understand some of the hallmarks or tenants. Yeah. What needs to be done, or can malt, can corn follow the same path as hops with the repetitive nature? Where it, it, do you think there's a point where? at some point somebody will have a beer and say, Oh yeah, this has bloody butcher in it. Do, do, do you think we can hit that point? So malt is the business that I'm in is subtle. <clears throat> Our flavors are subtle. Um, you know, unless you're going for like roasted malts and things like that, that obviously yeah. are, are very intense, but base malts, you know, even, even, even in, even in larger quantities, different grains, you know, if they're malted, they still have a similar flavor profile. It's just very subtle differences. And the problem is that we only use them in, in a very small percentage. So like if we're doing a corn beer, you know, maybe we're only putting 20% of the grain bill is corn. Um, so you're, it's not like you're doing like a huge percentage of that. Um, so it's, 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 it, they are subtle differences, but you know, I, and, and they are differences, but it, I, unless you're trained and, and, and have actually chewed on that grain and know what that grain tastes like before it goes into a beer. I do think it's hard for people to kind of pick out those things. They just know that it tastes good and they know that it tastes different. But, um, you know, unless you've, unless you've had that, I mean, kind of like hops too, you know, unless you've, unless you've smelled that hop and you know exactly what that hop kind of, or you've had beers with that in the past and, and you know what that hop tastes like, it's, you're not going to really be like, Oh, that's a, that's a mosaic or that's a citra, you know, whatever it is. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think, you know, as, as breweries, embrace malt and malted grains more and more over the you know in the coming years um we've we've made a you know the craft malt the craft malt world i think has made a big a big difference in 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 the brewing industry in the last you know 
10 years that we've been doing this. Um, nobody really cared about malt 10 years ago. And, and I've seen so many breweries opening up now that are, that are really focusing on malt forward beers and, and lagers and, and, and things like that, that, you know, 10 years ago wouldn't have sold at all in the marketplace. Um, yeah. So I think, I think if we keep pushing and keep, um, keep trying to innovate and, and bring new flavors to the, to the table. Yeah. I think there's, I think there is a time that, you know, hopefully in the future that people will have had enough of those beers, have had enough of beer, enough of lagers with bloody butcher in it to say, Oh, that's a bloody butcher lager. Um, but it, it takes time and it takes, and, 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 and since it's so subtle and since it's such a small percentage in a grain, in a grain, grain bill, it is, uh, it is a bit harder to, 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 to realize instead of hops, you know, in the hop world. So you talked about hops flavor. are so in your face. You know, yeah. hops are so in your face. Um, and, and our, and what we do is, is so not in your face. It's, it's just, it's the base of beer. It's, it's what, it, what's what makes the foundation of beer. Um, but it's not something that, you know, you're going to be like, Whoa, that is an intense flavor. Um, and that that's not, 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 malt, not really what malt is supposed to be. Are you not doing your job if the opposite happens? If what opposite happens, if, if people that, was like, a, that, that was a really indelicate question. Yeah. Yeah. If people like, are like, not being I can taste that flavor. Yeah. Um, I don't know. Yeah. I, I think it does throw brewers for a loop sometimes. If I do give them a malt that is intensely flavored because yeah, it, it is, it is, they're not, they're not used to that. They're used to having these hot bombs and used to having, you know, sour bombs with, with, with what they're doing um, and, and throwing all these adjuncts in. But when you give them a, a malt that is just like, whoa, it, they don't know what to do with it a lot of times. And it, so, yeah, it is, um, it is kind of a growing and learning. Um, we're in growing and learning phase for both, both maltsters and, and brewers, I think. And then, then the consumers in the end too. So you talked about uh, pushing new flavors um, and, and that that's always this interesting thing, but uh, you touched upon this briefly, but I really want to hear about Edelweiss. Um, this this malt that you have uh, that you brought back from Europe a couple of years ago um, and that you're getting ready uh, to really introduce because the the, the story behind it, um, which I hope you'll share with with, with us now, um, is so fascinating and really intriguing and like one of those things where like I want as many brewers as possible to get their hands on this because I really want to taste what they can do with it. Um, especially the smart brewers who I think can, can probably do some, 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 some cool stuff with that. Um, do you have the bandwidth to, to talk with us about that? Yeah. Yeah. So, um, so back in 2016, um, my wife and I ended up going over to Europe and, and going to a conference, um, and learning, uh, and, and meeting uh, a seed bank over there, um, that has, you know, they just, they got banked or banked hundreds and hundreds of different small grains. Um, we met with them, um, spent a couple of days with them and, you know, told them, all right, so we're in Indiana. We really don't know what grows here in Indiana yet because we're just starting out, but we know that we want a winter variety. And we've learned that these German, like Southern Germany, Czech Republic, Southern French varieties kind of do better for us in our climate. Um, so if you could send us, you know, some samples, um, we'll plant them, see what they do. So that was summer of 2016. That fall, we got two samples in the mail. Um, there were 200 gram samples. We planted both of them. So like a little, you know, a little 
I don't know, a snack pack, uh, you know, in a Ziploc bag. I was going to say, I don't even understand like what that looks like. It's very small. So like, you know, if you go to, let's say if you go to go get some seeds to plant yeah. your garden and it's like, a like in the little pack, envelope. Yeah. Yeah. Basically that big about okay. that much, but full, it was full. I mean, it wasn't just like a few seeds. It was a full bag of that, okay. but that was it. That was all we had. Um, we planted these two varieties, um, one far, far surpassed the other. Um, and we ended up replanting that when we had to hand cut every, we went out and literally with scissors, uh, and cut the heads off of this one row that we had and, and, and hand, hand threshed and hand window windowed to get the, the, the kernels off of the stock. Um, and we've replanted that for the last five years now, five years, 2016, 17, yeah. 18, 19, 20. Yeah. So five years, we're going to plant it again this fall for the sixth, sixth season. Um, and we went from 200 grams, so a little little seed packet, to um, we're going to be we we ended up harvesting about 10,000 or yeah, a little over 10,000 pounds of it this year. Um, so, so uh, quite a bit more. <laughs> um, so during that time, I started doing some research into what this variety was, um, and it turns out because I really didn't know, they just sent me some varieties that they thought might grow well for us, and we're like, all right, we'll plant them, see what happens, and and the one did well, so we're like, well. Let's keep planting that one. Um, so I started getting doing, doing some research on it, and it turns out this is a it's a uh, a variety that was bred outside of Vienna, um, late 1800s, early 1900s. It was released in the early 1900s, but he was he was working on it in the late 1800s. Um, and its two parents are two of the Hannah Moravian landrace varieties, or the Moravian Hannah landrace varieties, which are you know the basically the predecessor to all of our modern varieties now. Um, cool. It was what Czech Pilsner was first made with. Um, <laughs> so these are the, a land race variety is basically just the, the grain that the farmers had. They weren't, it wasn't an actual variety of barley. It was just, you know, farmers kept their own seed. And for some reason in, in the, in the Hanna region of Moravia, they had really good barley. And, they, and so we, the, so breeders started going to that region and, and, and selecting different land race varieties from these farmers and breeding them and, and trying to make new varieties. This is one of the first of those varieties that were made. Um, uh, so it's got two land race varieties as parents and um, <clears throat> it's a winter variety, which really a winter malting variety, which really wasn't even bred that often back then. It was all two row varieties. So it was really one of the only winter malting varieties that we were able to find um, besides like Marisol, you know, the original German or I'm sorry, English varieties, you know, beer and, and, you know, the early like Maris Otter and things like that. Those were all, um, uh, I'm pretty sure I'm, don't quote me on that, but I think I'm pretty sure Maris Otter is a winter variety, but, um, you, you, you know, we're, we're recording it on a podcast. Yeah, I know. Right. Yeah. <laughs> I'm pretty sure a lot of the English I mean, I'm not quoting you. You're just yeah, saying it yeah. and it's I'm going out over the myself, radio now. So, yeah. But yeah. Um, I'm, you know, a lot of the English varieties, I mean, we'll through. just say praise Maris. And <laughs> if, if, if there's a problem, I'm sure I'll get hate mail from Alex kid and you, you know, go. I'll just, I'll put it in the pile. There you go. Yeah. A lot. There were a lot more, let's just say there were a lot more, uh, winter varieties coming out of England back in the early, earlier days of good save. breeding. Yeah. Um, but you brought, you pulled Germany, out of the skid. Nice pulled job. It out, yeah. Pulled it out. <laughs> Uh, but yeah, in Germany, it was mostly uh, mostly spring varieties. So to find an old winter variety was really exciting for us, um, and and then to have it as a Czech have this as this really uh, great pedigree of of a Czech Hanna Landrace for uh, parents was even better. 
And then thirdly, I figured out that the, that the university that it was bred in, in, in the late 1800s, early 1900s, um, was a university that I actually studied at for six months. Um, and so, yeah, it has all these kind of connect. Oh, another connection is I'm actually 50% Czech. Um, so my mom is hundred percent Czech. So it has all these, you know, I didn't, we didn't know when this barley variety came to us that I would be connected to it in so many different ways. And so it just kind of feels like it has worked out. Um, no, 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 that, this feels like, it, like this goes back to the tomato that I was talking about, like that you're speaking to the grain and it's growing. Yeah. You know, that they're, yeah. Like, you're not, you're singing to it and it's, uh, there's a connection. Yeah. Yeah. There, there is, there's a real connection with this. Um, we've got it, we've got it micro malted for the last few years, you know, from the small samples that we've been, been able to harvest, we send it to the lab and get it micro malted. It's going to be a, a, a under modified, um, lager malt, you know, it, it really needs, uh, it, it really benefits from step mashing and decoctions. Um, and if you're really, if you have the brew yeah. set up and you have the expertise to make, you know, make those style lagers, this is the malt that, you know, that that you can do it with so you're uh, going to want to be sending this to like ashley carter at Bierstadt or chris johnson down at green bench exactly or, yeah yep yep okay so we only have are they already in line so i i'm not i'm not telling you who's brewing with it yet um okay. i've got i've got people in line uh for the first year um I only got, are you I only being have... selective as to who you want to get this yeah i'm trying to get it out to different regions in the country so yeah okay. so that people can then spread the word um, okay. so yeah, it's going to be going to, um, uh, the East coast, uh, the Midwest and, and, and then like the mountain, the, the I, I, mountain I'm going to guess if there's a lager brewer on the East coast. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Um, so Salem is beautiful in October. <laughs> I wish actually that, that is not where it's going, but I do. If Chris Loring, pay know, attention. So, yeah. I know. Um, so, um, yeah, but, um, but yeah, it's going to, so I've only got, cause I need, I got about 10,000 pounds of it harvest this year, but I need to keep enough seed for next year. So I'm only going to be able to malt about 7,000 pounds of this this year. So it's really, I'm, I'm limiting it to one beer per brewery and I've had brewers reach out to me saying they want to use it, um, you know, months ago. And so I've yeah. got, I've got those breweries lined up. Um, I'm hoping next year we'll have about 50 to 75,000 pounds of it next year. Um, so we're just kind of getting it out into the market this year, seeing how it tastes in beer. Cause nobody's brewed with this malt since, um, before world war two. Um, so it'll be fun. And so, all right. So, so, so two questions then, uh, the, the first one is 10,000 pounds. How much of that is, uh, are you going to smoke? <laughs> None of it. All right. I'm fine. making, I'm, I'm making only Pilsner malt with it. So we are <laughs> going to make Pilsner and Vienna malt with it. And I'm probably will turn my, the Soinhus into, I'll start using that grain in the swing house eventually also. Okay. But this year I want, um, I want it I, to be. I was really much. just teasing. I, I you know, don't have to, you don't have to go all the way with that one, but, but yeah, but we'll have, we will, this year we're only making Pilsner malt next year. We will be making Pilsner and Vienna and Vienna malt since it's actually is an Austrian variety. Yeah. Um, it was actually bred in Austria. So, so, but, but, but in all seriousness though, as you're talking to breweries, uh, that want this, um, that have an interest in making beer, you know, with this, uh, you know, before world war two, like that's amazing. Um, are you putting caveats on this? Like you don't want this showing up in a hazy IPA, I imagine, or like, no. Yeah. Yeah. No, this you know, is, this yeah. is only going to brewers that are going to be doing step masher decoctions and making some type of lager out of it. So, yeah. Yeah, not not this year. Once we get enough in stock, maybe. Um, okay. But for the first year or two, I am definitely limiting it, limiting it to what will be made with it. 
do you think that it has applications or could have applications outside of that, outside of like the, the normal step mashing um, loggers? No, I don't know. That's a good question. I really don't know. Um, you know, I'm, 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 I definitely am, am putting it out in the market for that. Yeah. Um, you know, I, could it be good since it is a little bit under modified? Could it be good for hazy IPAs also possibly? Um, you know, cause it, it is going to have, um, you know, it's, you know, use chip malt and, and, and hazy IPAs to, you know, get body and things like that. So it is going to have more body and a little bit more, more mouthfeel, um, to the grain, you know, could it be used in that eventually? Yeah, probably. Um, but I'm definitely, um, marketing it as a, as an old, old world lager malt, um, primarily. I love it. You mentioned at the beginning and I'm mindful of your time now, but you mentioned at the beginning of other farms in your area diversifying and going into agritourism or trying other things to, you know, remind people of the importance of farming or just even to keep the lights on. Um, you're talking about an Airbnb or, you know, uh, at least accommodations and lodging uh, on your property, um, as well as putting in your own brewery at this point. Um, that seems to be the natural evolution of farms your size right now. Um, is that something you're looking forward to doing or is that something that, you know, is sort of necessary to keep making pre-World War II malts or both? I think both. Um, no, I think both. Whether I'm looking forward to it or not, that's another question. Yeah. Because <laughs> I mean, like, you know, if, we, if you're a farmer, the- like, do you want to be an innkeeper? If you're a farmer, right. do you also want to be a bartender in a tap room? Yeah. Right. Yeah, we live on the property where the malt house is. The malt house is about a hundred, hundred foot, hundred foot walk from my back, from my back, uh, back step, and that's where everything would go. Um, so, you know, my wife and I have really talked a lot in the last few years. You know, how are we going to make this so that we can still have our own, you know, private time and, and have our own family life um, and and be able to do this? But it has kind of grown out of necessity, um, as you said. You know, if we want to really produce these malts and really want to see the beers made the way that we want them to be made, why are we not making those? Um, you know, I, I've produced these malts and I can envision the beer that it should go into. Um, um, and, and, you know, I think it'd be really neat to be able to do all of that here on one on one spot. Um, and we also have a lot of brewers come out and, and we do little farm collabs here. On the, we make little farmhouse beers here. Um, so brewers will come out. They'll spend a day or two on the farm. We'll make something, you know, with doing a Stein beer or, you know, using our, we have a 50 gallon copper kettle that we make beer in, um, and, and, and mash in a wooden barrel and, you know, all these kinds of really old, uh, farmhousey techniques. Um, and then we let and then the brewers take that home. So just like two weeks ago, a brewery called Orkanoi out of Chicago, um, they do a lot of Norwegian or uh, not Norwegian, Scandinavian inspired beers and a lot of lagers also. They came down and we made a West coast style Gruet. So we went through the herb. Garden. Wait a minute. Flag on the play. Yeah. Yeah. Right. So we went through our herb garden here on the farm and picked uh-huh. out, you know, as many piney, uh, uh, dank, uh, citrusy kind of herbs that we could, um, and then made a non hopped IPA. So we'll see how it turns out. <clears throat> it's uh, fermenting right now. They, that we used, uh, the, uh, what, how do you pronounce it? The Simonitis, the, the Lithuanian yeast that it actually produces really good, um, fruity flavors so that kind of balanced out the pininess that we put in with the herbs 
Um, so yeah, it's just, it's a fun time for brewers to come down and just like experiment, you know, on a very small scale and just have fun and just, you know, be able to go out yeah. through the farm and, and through the malt house and pick out whatever ingredients they want of the malt house and then go through the farm and do that. So we wanted to kind of, kind of build off of that and have a place for them to stay um, while they're here. And then also have, you know, a brewery to have the tasting room for these beers that we're making here on the farm. Mm-hmm. So that's yeah. where that came from. So that's, that's, okay. you know, kind of how it, how, how it evolved. Um, and yeah, we're working on, you know, doing a large cellar and doing all, you know, all, all doing a lot of wood aged wood fermented loggers and in a big large cellar underneath the brewery. Um, I've been actually locating a lot of the wild hops in the last year around our County. I saw, um, I saw you put a Facebook post up. I don't want to blow up your spot, but like you found wild hops uh, recently uh, that yeah. you're posting online whether they're wild or feral i don't know um i need to get some analysis some, some genetic analysis done on them but i have found four different clusters of hops now on, on four different creeks within a 10 mile radius of our farm um so and they're not and these near- aren't ones that you tried to just you know plant and no. see if they took no no i mean they are they are in the middle of fields uh, middle of woods or not, um, you know, whether they were planted a hundred years ago, you know, I, I know the people that own these properties and they've been there yeah. for since the fifties and sixties. Um, and they, they know that they'd never planted anything there in the, that time. So whether, huh. you know, at the turn of the century, somebody planted something close nearby it and it somehow migrated towards the creeks and, um, and seeds, you know, kind of migrated for anyways. Yeah. There are these um, yeah, so we're trying to we're trying to make this very unique experience for everything, literally everything, from the hops to the malt, to the or, to the herbs to the fruit, is grown, you know, right here, um, and and then just have a very small farmhousey style, uh, you know, copper kettle, wooden barrels, all that kind of stuff set up that we're uh, making really traditional farmhouse ales and lagers both. Um, do you so yeah, do you intend to be the brewer? No. No, I intend to uh, help come up with ideas for the for the beer, but I'm not I'm not experienced enough to be the brewer. No. So, so been asked, yeah, so, yeah, that's uh, I've uh, yeah. So I've I've got a guy that's working for me now that has worked for him for the last two years. That um, before coming to the malt house, he was a, a, a head brewer at a couple of different breweries. So, you know, he and I have been talking a lot about this, this project and, um, so yeah, it's something that, you know, I don't know if it's going to happen in the next year, but it's definitely, we're keep, we keep building towards it. I've torn down a couple different barns now that we've got old, you know, I'm trying to keep it as much as, as authentic to a farmhouse as possible. So we're going to rebuild a few barns out of old, uh, old wooden beams that we've torn down out of, out of other barns that have fallen in, um, and, and have this really authentic, uh, farmhouse feel. I can't wait to visit. Um, <laughs> no, I mean it. Like I miss Indiana um, sometimes, not all the time. Sometimes, uh, and, sometimes. And certain certain months out of the year are good. The rest of the months are yeah. Good. Like every once in a while, I get a, a a really great craving for a pork tenderloin sandwich, like a yeah. really good one. Uh, yeah. And Indiana is probably the best for it. <laughs> and um, you know, some of the other places that I used to hang out in Indianapolis. Um, I've yeah. been asking folks for the last couple of weeks on the show um, in our darkest timeline that we're in right now, 
Uh, I've been looking for a little bit of levity, a little bit of light. And so uh, my wife and I have been watching uh, The Good Place again uh, on mm -hmm. Netflix. Yeah. And towards the end, there's this whole thing where you can walk through a green door and be uh, anywhere you want at any point in time with whoever you want. Um, and I, I thought that was sort of a neat thing. So if you could walk through the green door uh, right now as the show ends, and be at a bar anywhere having a beer with anybody. It doesn't have to be a celebrity or fantasy or, or whatever, although it can be. Um, where would you want to be? What would you want to drink? And who would you want to be with? Oh, man. That is a deep question. Isn't it? Um, I don't have. I mean, this, this is about the afterlife, man. Like, this, yeah, is, this is aspirational for better days ahead. I know. Um, so I don't have a specific specific bar to choose um but my my heart really lies in in the north woods of wisconsin um i my the czech side of my family had a cabin there for 100 years and and i spent my summer a lot of my summers up there on the lakes um so if i could be lakeside in northern wisconsin i would be i'd be happy as a peach there um as far as what i'm drinking uh I, I, I don't think you can ever really go along with a wrong with a, a well-made Vienna lager. Um, you know, I like, I like lagers and I like a little bit of malt character in the lager. So uh, a good Vienna lager would be, make me pretty happy. Um, and who am I drinking it with? Man, that is a tough question. Um, hmm. You know, I, uh, I think it'd be kind of neat to talk to um, Harry Harlan. Um, my son's name is Arlen. He's named after Harry Harlan, who was the uh, one of the original um, barley breeders in North America. He traveled around the world. He, they called him the Indiana Jones of barley. Um, and he traveled around the world looking for new varieties of barley across the world and brought them back to, to, North, to the United States, the USDA, and, and planted them here. So that, I think it'd be kind of cool to kind of see, talk, talk to him about his life. So That's awesome. Well, I know it's harvest season, so uh, the fact that you could spare an hour to talk with me right now, um, I really appreciate it because this is so insightful. And uh, uh, I'm excited to see what beers are made with your malt going forward and certainly to see more corn beers uh, going out there. But um, man, thanks for thanks for doing this today. I really appreciate it. No, thanks for thanks for reaching out and want to do it. It's been a it's been a great time. Uh, talk talking to you and not catching up because we really never never knew each other before but it's it's been fun <laughs> next time we'll catch up next time we'll catch up yeah yeah are you drinking corn lagers tell me the ones you like best we're on social media at the beer edge and you can always reach me on email at john hall it's j-o-h-n-h-o-l-l at beeredge.com or on twitter at john underscore hall and if you love smoked beers and of course you do just like caleb a reminder to check out the this week in rauk beer group on facebook or on Twitter and Instagram at TWRaukBeer. And if you're interested in advertising, please reach out to Liz Melby. She's at Liz at BeerEdge.com, and she'll let you know all of the information. And speaking of that, this episode was made possible by the support of Brees. Brees has been malting barley for 145 years, and the fifth generation of family ownership is currently leading the company.
but the values have always remained the same, producing the highest quality, most consistent malt and working directly with their customers to help them succeed. From Pilsner supporters and everything in between, Brees offers the finest handcrafted malts, extracts, and adjuncts to help you brew the perfect beer. 20 years ago, New Holland Brewing Company embarked on a journey into the unknown, brewing the first batch of Dragon's Milk Bourbon Barrel Aged Stout. What started as a single barrel in the back of the brewery has transformed into the best-selling American-made stout today, pairing rich notes of chocolate and coffee from roasted malts with deep tones of vanilla and oak from its time in bourbon barrels. Each bottle of Dragon's Milk is a delicious adventure waiting to be opened. Find Dragon's Milk near you at dragonsmilk.com. And if you're headed to Denver for the Craft Brewers Conference this week, be sure to pick up breakfast and a sample of Juicy Nectaron or Ruwaka hops at the New Zealand Hops Booth, number 1743. Stop by to watch the North American New Zealand Hops LLC team demo their first of its kind fractionated hop oils and smell the tropical fruit notes on full display. There will also be live brewmaster Q&As, a book signing, musical happy hours, and giveaways. Learn more at facebook.com slash New Zealand Hops. And one last reminder to go to beeredge.com to see all that we have going on. And also check out the Beer Edge podcast. Steal This Beer has new episodes every Monday and the BYO Nano podcast has new episodes releasing on the 15th of every month. As for this show, Nate Schweber does the music, Jeff Quinn designed the logo, and I'm John Hall. New episodes release every Wednesday. And that's when I'm going to be back again to drink beer and to think beer.